Morgan, and I'm here with my teammates Mason and Kate, and we are the traveling team. And guys, I know the name is super vague, but it's also super accurate because as a team, we travel to college campuses all over the country and we get to speak with students just like you guys all over the place. But we're so excited to be here with you tonight at SC, so thanks for having us. Um, yeah. As a traveling team, guys, basically, we travel for eight to nine months out of the year going campus to campus talking about one thing. We are here tonight to tell you guys about God's mission, and we want to help every single one of you get involved in what he's doing in the world. So just to give you an idea of what tonight is going to look like, I want to give you a little roadmap. Mason is going to come up, and he's going to walk us through three kind of main areas. So kind of general flow will be we're going to look at God's heart. What is his heart in the word? What does the word say about his love for the world? And then number two, we're going to do a deep dive into what is the state of the world currently? What is the state of our lost world that we live in? And then finally, number three, what does that mean for our lives practically today? How do we live in light of that? So Mason is going to talk through all of those things for us. It's going to be a super fun time. So buckle up, lean in, get ready. And I'm going to pray for us before we start. God, I thank you so much for tonight. Thank you for giving us an opportunity to gather as believers and learn under your word. I pray that all of us would have open hearts and be ready and willing to hear from you, Lord, and ready to hear from your word. And I pray it would sink deep into us and affect our lives today and every day afterwards. We love you, Lord. Amen. Here's Mason. Welcome. Can I take this off? Is that allowed? Can I do that? Can I stick? I'm just going to unwrap it a little bit. I promise I'm not going to go too far. Don't give me too much leash. I will outrun it. It's crazy. Guys, I also love how we did that. It always feels like a magic trick when I just pop up here after the prayer. I'm like, yeah, no, this is a good show to start. Guys, my name's Mason. Obviously, we are the traveling team. You just got to hear a little bit about that. And I just want to kind of frame our night. Because essentially tonight, what we are talking about is the task remaining. And so I'm going to have, what was your name? Michelle. Michelle. She's going to click for me tonight, and it's going to be awesome. So we're talking about the task remaining, right? And when I say that, you might have a thousand things go through your mind. I want to talk about, first of all, what is the task? And really, what I'm talking about when I talk about the task is I'm actually talking about Matthew 28, 19 through 20, but also the rest of Scripture. Uh, don't worry, Michelle, I, this clicker worked, and so that's how I changed that screen. It was my second magic trick of the night. And so essentially, what is the task? Well, God's heart throughout all of Scripture is very clear. To sum up the Bible in about as shortly as I can, in Genesis, God creates heaven's earth. He creates the land. He creates all these things. And then he creates Adam and Eve, right? He creates man and woman, mankind in his image, and he gives them a command. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. What is the task? God wants the world filled with people who know him, who love him, and are in right relationship with him. This gets out of hand a little bit because sin enters the picture. The world ends up in chaos and sin. And God sets a plan in motion in Genesis 12 to save the world. He's going to make a people for himself. He's going to bless that people to bless and reach all peoples. God wants the world to fill it with people who know him, love him, and glorify his name. And he's blessing his people and using them as his chosen instrument to show that glory to the rest of the world. That is the story of scripture. The rest of the Old Testament is going to lead us up to the birth of Christ. 
Christ is going to come into the picture and become the pathway for those who call upon his name to be saved. And if they so will do, if they will do that, they will join him in eternity and he will put his 33 years of perfect sinless life in place of our sinful one. And his death and resurrection three days after death will defeat sin and death in our place. And all of a sudden we can have eternity with the God of the universe. That is essentially the story of scripture. Now the rest of story is him commissioning his followers to take that message to the ends of the earth. Matthew 28, 19 through 20 sums it up really well. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. The story of scripture is God redeeming the world for himself because he wants it to be filled with people who know him, love him, and are bringing glory to his name. That is the task. Well, yeah, that is the task. Now the question becomes, if that's the task, what is the target? And to talk about that, I want to introduce a guy named Matthew Emmons. Some of you have probably never heard this guy's name. He was an Olympic rifle shooter for the United States, and he was really good at it. Matthew Emmons is a four-time Olympian. He's so good that... Somebody sabotaged his gun. He borrowed a gun from his buddy he'd never shot with it before, and he won gold at the Olympics. He's pretty good at what he does. But this is Matthew Emmons' maybe most famous story. In the 2004 Olympics, he had a monster lead. He had hit the bullseye just about every single time up to this point. He enters into the third round, and he has such a big lead that to win gold, all he has to do is hit the target. That's all he has to do. So Matthew Emmons walks up, he scopes down the range, he sees the target, he aims at the bullseye, and when you hit a bullseye at the Olympics, there's a little bell that would ring to notify the crowd that you just did something really good. It basically notifies the crowd like, hey, this guy hit a bullseye, you're good to cheer. I know you can't see the target, but you're good to cheer. And so he lines it up, Matthew Emmons looks down the scope, he sees the bullseye, he breathes out, All he has to do is to hit it, and he wins gold, and he pulls the trigger. Bullseye. Matthew Emmons smokes the bullseye. He is excited. He just won gold, and he turns around, he looks at the crowd, and nobody's cheering. There was no little bell. And so he's like, what's going on here? I just hit the bullseye. He looks back down it, and he sees that he hit the bullseye on the target, but there was no bell. So he's looking around, he's confused, and as he looks back down his sights, he realizes he hit a bullseye on the next target over. In that moment, Matthew Emmons went from first to eighth place. He didn't even get a medal that Olympics. All he had to do was hit the target, but he missed it. He hit a bullseye, he just hit it in the wrong spot. And so what I want to ask us tonight is if the task is to see God's glory reach the nations, is it possible that if we're not lined up looking at the right target, we might completely miss the mark? I want to ask tonight, what is the target? Well, Matthew 24, 14 is pretty clear about this. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony 
to all nations. And then the end will come. So part of God's plan is for the world to know his name. And part of that is for all nations to hear about Jesus, to hear about the gospel. So the target is simply put the rest of the world. But to understand what the world looks like, we got to dig a little deeper. To understand that when it says all nations here, it's really talking about this word ethnos. And this word ethnos can also be translated to ethnic or ethne, which basically means people who share a common language or a culture or a history or beliefs or identity. And when you break it up like that, it essentially changes it from this word nations, which we correlate to the 195-ish nations or countries that are in the world today. But when we rephrase it to ethne, to ethnos, we actually get about 12,000 people groups. So our target is the rest of the world, but our target's maybe a little different than what we would understand it as today. And so these people groups, well, there's actually about 7,200 people groups who make up the unreached left in the world today. And now when we see this word unreached, I want you to hear access. Basically, there's unreached and there's unsaved. There could be people in this room who have not called upon the name of Jesus to save them. That would be unsaved. Why? Because they have access to a room full of believers. There are churches in the city. The most popular book in the United States today is the Bible unsaved because they have access to Jesus. Unreached is to mean to have no access to Jesus. AKA, there may not be a Bible written in the native language. In fact, there's probably not a church they know of. You can't just turn on the radio and accidentally hear a Christian song. Nobody is freely proclaiming Jesus where there is unreached people groups. So that keyword access there. These unreached people groups actually make up about 3.5 billion people in the world today. 3.5 billion people in the world today considered unreached. So what is the target if the task is to see the gospel go to the ends of the earth? The target is those who do not have the gospel or access to it. 3.5 billion unreached people. And so what I want to do now is I want us to just look through a passage of scripture. We're going to be in 2 Kings, and I want us to just see the parallels between this scripture and the world we live in today. We're going to be in 2 Kings, and we're basically going to walk through some bad news, some good news, some bad news, and some more good news. So hopefully you guys are with me for this. As we jump in, we start off in 2 Kings 6.24 with... Some bad news. After this, Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, mustered his entire army and went up and besieged Samaria. And there was a great famine in Samaria as they besieged it. The bad news is that for those collected in Israel and collected in the kingdom at now, there's a great fam famine. There's a great physical famine. That is the bad news at the time. Now, there's also a little bit of good news after this bad news because there's a great famine, but this is what the Lord says to the king. He says, through Elisha the prophet, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, tomorrow about this time, a measure of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel and two measures of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. So basically, what the heckle is a shekel, right? We got to figure out what that is. So a shekel at this time would basically just be the going rate 
for whatever food, whatever property that is. Now, at the time that Elijah is telling the king this, because of the famine, the going rate of flour is about 76 shekels. Guys, that's a lot of shekels. Come on. Hey, tomorrow it's going to be sold for one. That's like, that's like a lot of inflation, okay? We're way too deep into it. What, what Elisha is saying to the king is right now, there is so little food that it is selling for 76. I'm telling you tomorrow, there will be such an abundance. You could sell it for literally one, one single shekel. So to put that in a picture, there's a great famine. It's hard to come by food, but tomorrow, king, the famine will basically be over. The king, upon hearing this, has got to be a little confused because he's looking around him and he's like, I don't know how we're going to get there. In fact, he's like, should we do something about this? And Elijah's like, no, trust the Lord. So the bad news is there's a physical famine in 2 Kings for the kingdom. The bad news for us is that there is a spiritual famine in the world today. There's a spiritual famine in the world today. This is a map of the world. You'll see this is where non-Christians are located. You will notice that there is a lot of non-Christians in the world today. There are a lot of people who do not believe in Jesus. There's a spiritual famine in the world today. But here's the crazy thing is 3.5 billion unreached actually live in a lot of that red right there. So the spiritual famine gets a little deeper when you realize that most of the red up there don't have access to Jesus like we were talking about earlier. There is a spiritual famine in the land. And what does that really mean, though? Well, it basically means that of the 7,378 languages of the world, roughly half of the languages have Scripture, which means half do not. Good news, bad news. If every Christian, in fact, shared the gospel with everyone that they have ever met, 3 billion of that 3.5 billion would still be considered unreached. That's what that means, to not have access to Jesus. What I'm saying is there is a spiritual famine in the world today. But there's good news, right? Jump back to 2 Kings. There's good news. Now, there were four men who were lepers. That sounds like bad news, but hey, here we are. There were four men who were lepers at the entrance to the gate. And they said to one another, why are we sitting here until we die? Let us say, enter the city. The famine is in the city. We're probably going to die there. If we sit here, we're also going to die. Well, why don't we just go to the camp of the Syrians who are outside the city? We can ask them to spare our lives. Worst case scenario, we're going to die. Okay, so let's just take a shot is basically what they're saying. And so the good news here comes when they arise at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. And when they come to the edge of the camp of the Syrians, behold, there was nobody there. Why? Because for the Lord had made the army of the Syrians, hear the sound of chariots and horses, the sound of a great army, and they fled away in the twilight and abandoned their tents, leaving the camp as it was. Good news. The Lord makes a way. The Lord provides. Basically, what these guys roll up onto is everything the Syrians had. They leave in such a hurry because the Lord makes all of the sounds happen that they leave what behind? Their food, 
their drinks, everything that they would have had ready to besiege the city, ready to feed an entire army. The good news is the Lord has provided. The good news is that the Lord provides resources. In fact, Christians have resources. That's the good news. The annual income of all churchgoers is $53 trillion. Now, if you lower that down to just evangelicals alone, it's $6.7 trillion. That's still more than like the United States is in debt of. Like That's crazy. Not only that, but over 50,000 evangelicals per unreached people. In fact, technology today allows us to easily get across the globe. Not only that, but medical technology can preserve life like it never has before. Technology can even help in language learning and expediting the Bible translation process. The good news is that the Lord provides a way. We have the resources. Not only that, we have the gospel Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, but it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. We don't just have resources, we have the gospel. Not only do we have the gospel, but we have the Holy Spirit. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and to the ends of the earth. Samaria as well. I forgot that one. My guy got me. Matthew got me. Guys, we have the resources. We are equipped to reach the rest of the world. Why? Because we have everything we need. This is, so this is very clearly not a matter of resources. It's more so a matter of willingness. Because we have the resources, we have the gospel, and we have the Holy Spirit to guide us. So what happens next? Well, while we are equipped to handle the famine, there is yet bad news. 2 Kings 7, 8, when these lepers came to the edge of the camp, they went into a tent and they ate and they drank and they carried off silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. And they came back and entered into another tent and they did the same exact thing. The bad news is that the lepers hide the resources they find instead of taking them to the rest of the city. The bad news is that we're hiding resources. Where is the money and where are the workers? If we just talked about the resources the U.S. has or just Christianity across the globe has, where are the resources? Where is the money? Well, this is kind of a fun thing. Where is the money? Well, Americans have recently spent more money on Halloween costumes for blank than the amount given to reach the unreached. Does anybody want to just shout out the most ridiculous thing you can think of? Guys, it's like you've, it's like you've seen this before. <laughs> Americans have recently spent more money on Halloween costumes for their pets than money given to reach the unreached. Where's the money? Well, let's put this into perspective. Let's take all of the money that Christians get in a year. It would, let's say it stacks up to be about the size of Mount Everest. Well... Let's say it stacks up to be the size of Mount Everest. Well, if you take Mount Everest and then you take a football field length out of that, you get the money that Christians give to the church, about 1.8%. Now, if you take that football field and you take about a basketball goal height out of that, you get the money that goes to foreign missions, which is about 5% of what Christians give. Now, here's the thing. If you take that, 
And everybody just go ahead and just hold up. Like you can just hold up this. You can hold up this. Just make like a little circle with your hand. Go ahead and do that. You are holding in your hand the amount given to the unreached. About a golf ball size compared to Mount Everest. That is how much we give to missions, specifically to the unreached. Is that crazy? Where's the money going? Where is the money? Well, I can tell you where it's not, and I can tell you where it is. This is a map of where that income is received and where it goes. We got green dots covering the left side pretty good. We are, however, missing some blank spaces. There's a couple spots where the money's not going. But forget about the money. Where are the people? Well, 97% of the world's unreached live in the 1040 window, which is that box that I showed you earlier, that orange box that stretched from West Africa to East Asia. Only about 3 to 4% of global workers actually go there. It comes out to about 15,000 people going to the unreached as long-term workers. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Where are the people? Well, like we said earlier, this is where unbelievers are. This is where our missionaries are going. It's kind of comedic, honestly. It's crazy. Where are the resources? It's not that they don't exist. It's not even that they're going to bad places. It's just that they're maybe not going to the best places. I don't want you to hear this and think this is like a shame, guilt thing for just like Christianity as a whole. I think honestly a lot of this is just not knowing where the resources should go. I think it's a lot of that. I think if everybody in the world saw this map, they would go, oh, we should change that. I don't think that this is a resource problem or a willingness problem as much as it is as a knowledge problem. Man, where are the resources? Where are the people? Where are the money? Well, they're not, that's bad news. The resources aren't going to where they're most needed in this spiritual famine. But there's good news. 2 Kings 7. The lepers just put all of this stuff, they hid all of it. They looked to each other and they said, we are not doing right. This day is a day of good news. If we are silent and wait until the morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now, therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. And then, after they do that, the people come out and everybody plunders the camp of the Syrians together. The good news is the story is not over yet. The good news is that they have a change of heart. The good news is that in 2 Kings 6.24, when the Lord told the king he would provide and he would lower that shekel amount, he did that. Our God did that. The good news is we live in a world today where it is not too late. In fact, the Lord is proving again and again to be a promise keeper. And I want to share some good news with you of where those promises are. Look throughout scripture with me as we go through promises. Matthew 24, 14, we'll read back through this. The gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed, will be. That is a promise throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. 
But not only that, let's go to the Old Testament, Habakkuk 2.14, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord, uh, the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. I don't know the last time you guys went to the ocean, but it's completely covered in water. So that's pretty good news, right? All right, it's going to be completely covered in the Lord's glory. But even more so, Isaiah 49, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach where? To the ends of the earth. And then the final picture, the picture we get of heaven at the end of Scripture in Revelation, this is what heaven will look like. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, who is Jesus. The good news is that God is a promise keeper. And even though the state of the world looks pretty deadly right now, and resources aren't going necessarily to where they might best be used, the Lord is faithful. And he's going to promise us that heaven will be filled with people from all nations, tribes, and tongues. And so the question, if God is a promise keeper, if our task is to see the gospel go to the ends of the earth, and our target is the ends of the earth, what can we do about it? Well, I want us to look at John 20, 21. I want us to first find a heart posture of this. Because Jesus says to his followers, he says, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. The first thing we understand about this mission is that Jesus looks out and he says, if you are a follower of mine and you have a pulse, which looks like we're doing pretty good in this room, guess what, guys? You are a sent one. The first thing we do is we understand that this mission is for me. This is not an opt-in or an opt-out, that this mission is for those who claim to be followers of Christ. That's our first thing is a heart posture of this mission is for me. And I get to play a role. I don't know what the last thing you guys were invited to. When I was 16, I got my driver's license for the first time and I'm going into that first summer of freedom. I don't know if you guys remember that, but you remember that first summer where you could like drive or your friend could drive and you're like, we can do whatever we want. This is awesome. Okay, honestly, we couldn't, but it felt good. It felt good to say that. And I remember laying in my bed. I remember my dad knocked on the door. He comes into my room. He says, Mason, I want you to come work with me this summer. And I saw all of those dreams just go. And I was like, ah. That's tough. You want me to work for you for the next two months? My dad does renovation and construction. He's like building a house that summer. And I'm like, uh, okay, I'm in. And to be honest with you, the reason I said I was in is because I don't have a great relationship with my dad. Now, for most of my life, he's worked two jobs. I lived most of that with my grandma uh, just because it was where I was best fitted. And so when my dad at 16 comes and says, I want you to come work with me, I hear, hey, I want to spend time with you. And I had been longing for that. So I was like, yes, red button, sign me up, spin the wheel of fortune, I'm in. You tell me what I got to do. And so we go to work and I realize, even though I'm glad to be there with my dad, I don't know Jack about building houses. <laughs> we get there and I'm like a walking toolbox. I'm like, he's like, get the wrench. And I'm like, I've never seen one before. What do you want from me? I'm like trying to paint walls. I'm the color the wall is supposed to be. It's a tough time. That summer, as we built that house though, 
man, I watched the tile go into the bathroom in the kitchen. I watched the flooring go down, the crown molding go up. I watched all of these things start to happen. And I watched this house become a home. And I realized, holy cow, we're building this for somebody's family. And then they're going to sell this house to the next family. And there's going to be people who live in this place long after I'm even probably around to see it. And I was like, okay, this could be, there could be something to this. This could be amazing. And by the end of that summer, I actually loved building it because I saw the vision of what we were building. And then we were walking to the car the last day. And as we're walking, I realized my dad's no longer walking beside me. And so I kind of turned around and I'm like, where's he at? And he's just standing in front of the house and he's just looking at it. And so I kind of walk up to him. I'm kind of looking at him. I'm looking at the house and I'm like, who's going to make the first move here? And because he's not a man of many words. And so we just kind of stand there for a second. And he does something that surprises me. Even to this day, it surprises me. My dad puts a hand on my shoulder. And he just says, thanks. He says, thank you for building this with me. And I'd like to tell you after that, it was all sunshine and rainbows. It's not. We still have a really strange relationship. It's hard to go home. I know some of you feel that. I don't know what your relationship with your earthly father looks like. But I want you to hear and I want you to know that there is a perfect father. And in his word, he says, son, daughter, would you build something with me? And that is unbelievable. That the God of the universe would not just snap his fingers, but instead would say, I want you to be part of the work that I'm doing. That he would say, this mission of mine, I want it to be ours. I want this mission not to just be for, for you, but I want it to be for us. That the God of the universe would invite us into his plan of salvation is unreal. And if you're in this room tonight and you are a follower of Christ, I want you to hear this and I want you to feel this. You were not just saved from hell. You were saved for a purpose. And this is that purpose. This mission is for us. But what do we do? Well, I want to ask maybe the most strategic and best evangelist that's ever lived on the planet. It's a guy who wrote 13 books of the Bible and evangelized in 59 cities across eight different countries. A dude named Paul. I don't know if you've heard of him. I hope you have. You're going to love this. He's about to give us a big piece of truth and then a series of rhetorical questions that allows us to feel and impact what we do with the first piece of truth. He says, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, which is good news. Am I right? Amen to that. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord to be saved. Are you kidding me? That's amazing. But then he, he says these questions. He says, but how then will they call on him in, in whom they have not heard? And they can't, Paul. And how are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? They can't. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? They cannot. And how is someone to preach unless they are sent? They cannot. What Paul's saying is they're the same truth in today's spiritual famine, the same truth in this time period spiritual famine, is that there are people who unless people are sent, to preach so that they can hear and believe will never get the chance to call upon the name of the Lord Jesus. Those are the unreached. But 
In this is a hidden gem that is beautiful for us as followers of Christ, and it's called our next steps. Because for someone to hear and believe the gospel, what has to happen? Someone has to preach, which means someone has to go, and someone to preach has to be sent, which means someone has to send. So we can get our next steps. Our role, if this mission is for us, our role is to go and send. And we can go here. We can share with those who do not know the gospel around us, for those who have heard it a thousand times, for for those who are international students from places where they may have never heard the gospel before. Don't worry about what's happening here. Stay with me. Guys, you can go here by sharing with someone you might have the same class with who may have never had access to Jesus before. You can also go there. Some of you are going this summer. Would you go ahead and raise your hand if you're going this summer? Anybody? Hey, what? Let's go. Uh, we're going to get to some very important things that have to do with those people that are going. Because for some of you, you're going this summer. For some of you, maybe you're going to go next summer, maybe the summer after that. But how are they to preach unless they are sent? This is where I want us to send those who are going now well. Go ahead and raise your hand again if you're going this summer. This is not just a champion moment. This is for those of us that are not going to look around and figure out who we can send well. Because we can send through giving and praying. We can send by giving to those that are going. They're raising support for this. Hey, help a brother get there. Help a sister get there. All right? Man, but also send through prayer. Because even if you're like, I don't know how I can get involved in the first three, I want you to know praying is free and easy. And also, it's obedient. (laughs) So let's do that. Guys, you can pray for the Lord of the harvest to send laborers. You know what the world looks like. Ask the Lord to save it. Beg him, plead with him. You know why? Because it's it's a prayer that's guaranteed to be answered. That should be pretty confidence building. Guys, we get to play a role in this mission going to the ends of the earth. I just ask that we would say yes to that. If you're in this room, I don't know where you're at. If you want more information of what it looks like, to see that God has a heart for the world throughout Scripture. There's little red cards. Uh, My wife back there, Sarah Morgan's holding one up. Those are on a little book table that's in the thing. It's just got a list of verses on it. If you're like, I don't know if I believe this, pick one of those up, take it home, read through it. But also on that table, if you flip those over, it has a commitment card that says, I want to be a goer or a sender. I would ask you to take one, take it home, figure out where of these four your next step is, sign it, And just let it be a daily reminder that you have a role to play, that a perfect father wants you to be a part of his mission. Guys, the Great Commission is not fulfilled yet, but it will be one day. And my hope and my dream for you is when you get to heaven and you are surrounded by brothers and sisters from all nation, tribes, and tongues, you look around and you're not just glad that you like snuck through the door at the last moment, but that you are proud to say you took the father's hand on this side of heaven. We all have a role to play. I want to help you find yours. Lord, thank you for just the opportunity to be here today. Thank you for being faithful and kind. Thank you for involving us when we don't necessarily deserve it. God, for a grace that we know you, but an even greater grace that not only do we know you, but we get to be part of what you are doing. Lord, for you are faithful and kind and just and mighty. I pray that you would use us to help reach the nations. Amen.